All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Can you see it? Did you know Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It arms You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes, the reporter here. Like, I don't, I won't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word. That will get you $5 off your first order on Zephyr Epic. 
epic.com z-e-p-h-y-r epic on all platforms they ship free canada-wide on any order over $50. We're also delivered to you by DoorDash. Uh, use promo code CONVODD, capital C, capital D's, all one word, CONVODD. That will get you 25% off and free delivery on your first order with the DoorDash app. My name is David Quadrelli. I'm not joined by Chris Faber. I'm actually joined by Patrick Johnson of the province. We'll get to that in a second, PJ. But I, I just wanted to start by telling listeners uh, the absence of Faber. Um, not here today. Uh, for those that you haven't seen on Twitter already, Faber's stepmom, uh, Nikki Faber, passed away uh, this past week. Faber went home to Nanaimo to be with his family. Uh, our thoughts are with Chris, uh, the entire Faber family. Chris, we love you, buddy. Uh, it feels weird to do the show without you, but uh, it was Faber's wishes, and he's very excited. Not excited that Kevin Woodley's going to join us on this episode. I can tell you that much, PJ, but Patrick Johnson, how you doing, man? Why are you yelling, quads? I don't yell. I talk loud. You should hear Faber. Like you should. I know. I just said like we love you, Faber. It's, it's now I'm slagging Faber immediately. <laughs> well, no, I was slagging you. Well, yeah, no, but I'm slagging Faber because he's even louder than I am. It's Canucks conversation. Harmon's louder. No, you. you I talk it. to Harmon all the time. Yeah, Harmon. Harmon has a very measured, lovely voice. He does, but he is loud on the podcast. You're very passionate, is what you're saying. Yeah, I'm very you're passionate. Italian. This is too quiet. Look at our level. Italian. Here. This is way too exactly. Exactly. Hey, you brought me here. Don't tell me. Don't tell me how to talk. <laughs> I'll walk out. All right. Fair enough. Fair anyway, enough. yes. No. Best of favor and best to his family. Yeah. Um, of course. Uh, you know, sort of unthinkable moment for him. So yeah, we're uh, thoughts are with him and his family for sure during this time. Okay, PJ Spencer Martin. That's the big hmm. news of the day. This is an episode usually we post on Saturdays. Uh, obviously, like I just said, we we didn't do the Wednesday episode because personal stuff going on yes. um but we we are getting this out on friday spencer martin signs right before we're supposed to come to the studio i even texted you said i'm gonna be late picking you up because i gotta you get this out. you were on time right? i was because I, I write so fast we're, for we're in fact recording earlier than i expected yeah we are actually thank, thank you we're gonna have a little time yeah big news i mean what the three percent chance at the playoffs isn't the big news the fact they've won two games in a row and now they can they can still run the table and maybe still make the playoffs although as i as i joked last night pick your two teams i don't think people have actually looked at edmonton's schedule but anyway that's a different question i'm looking spencer martin spencer martin big deal no i mean uh, i think as everyone else has picked up i've had a lot of people in my mansion saying this is good you know this is a guy that's worked hard and absolutely i mean you you had a a lovely piece about curtis sansford spencer martin well done thank you Um, it was like it was prescient it was like you knew did you know no i i swear i didn't know i i just a smart guy gave the take that they should sign him yes like oh yeah Sure. I have been saying this for the past couple of weeks that just and we'll get to it like Kevin Woodley's going to join us and we'll we'll yeah, talk about it yeah, more with yeah, him. And yeah, I think yeah. he shares this sentiment with me. But the way I kind of looked at this and for those that don't know yet, Spencer Martin, two year contract, one way deal. Cap hit is seven hundred sixty two thousand dollars. There's a little five hundred in there. Did you just uh, do that well. math in your head? No, I, I did it at home I'm and it impressed. took well me done. a lot more time. Um, <laughs> well, well done, because I definitely didn't have that in my head. Thanks. Yeah, so cap it 762, which obviously makes it a completely variable contract, right? Like, worst mm. case Ontario, Spencer Martin shows up to camp, is nothing like what he looked like <laughs> this year, yeah. and he has to go down to the minors. It's a completely variable contract, really has no implications for the Canucks. What it does have implications for is Spencer Martin himself. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, when it's a one-way contract, paid the same salary uh, in the NHL or the AHL, guaranteed salary. That's big for Spencer Martin because if you look at his career earnings, again, like 
champagne problems, but it's not that much. Like he's getting AHL salary, yeah. uh, which is maximum, I think, a hundred thousand for him in his career. Um, so you're very happy for a guy like Spencer Martin because you know you never know when you're even going to get a shot at the NHL. And when he did get his unlikely shot earlier in the year, Patrick, mm-hmm. he really made good on it. And you never know when you're going to get those shots. And you know, he, he, let's not forget, goes down with COVID right after, right? Like was supposed to make a bunch of starts in a row, missed the next start after his first game where he was supposed to start against St. Louis, missed that start because he was on COVID protocol. You feel for a guy like that. You don't know when he's going to get another shot. You didn't know if he was ever going to get that coveted one-way contract because I know it doesn't seem like a big deal to the casual fans or just the observers of the team, but like this is a huge deal for Spencer Martin and you know, happy for him to be able to get that contract. Do you think the Canucks have made the right decision signing this contract to this goaltender. Oh, yeah. I mean, the other thing is, if you look at it, he's actually, in exchange for getting two years, he's taking a discount on when he was making 800K this year. So, you know, it's one of those ones where it's every little bit counts. This is a guy that showed, certainly in the toughest of circumstances, showed that, uh, you know, the talent's there. He was was a guy in junior who was, you know, one one of the sort of, there was a lot of hype with him when he was in junior. Things kind of fell off. Um, and then, you know, he's kind of battled his way through pro hockey, had those three starts in Colorado. I, but there was nothing to say that this guy was on track. Um, and he's he he listened to the coaches. I mean, I remember we talked we talked with Martin when he was you know in the middle of his run with the Canucks in January. And, you know, a guy who gave basically full credit to his coaches and, you know, it basically said, listen, I was willing to listen and just be broken down. And, you know, we know that the in Clark school is, uh, is aggressive. It's challenging. Um, it demands a lot of, of goalies and not everybody's made out for it. And, um, but he clearly was because he recognized that, you know, going to work with, with um, Curtis Sanford, who is part of the, Clark club, you know, I maybe different sort of personal sort of approach, but in the end, very much in that sort of let's, you, you are going to have to be challenging yourself mentally. I mean, I'm, you know, I both talked to you and Clark, you know, that he's very clear about it. He says, I know what I'm about. I know what I do and I know what I expect of guys. And it's because I think they can be great, but it's going to be hard and it's going to be probably harder than a lot of guys expect. And if you're a guy like Spencer Martin, you're coming into a totally new environment. I mean, he, you know, he had been with Colorado, he'd been with Tampa, but not a guy that that uh, you know had really any previous experience with 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 Ian Clark or you know in the end with Curtis Sanford and basically said no this is going to I'm in your hands make it happen and uh, yeah in the end a, a guy that showed character through that and has made himself uh, you know into an NH, you know an NHL at least NHL backup caliber goaltender. Yeah, absolutely. And let's not forget, Spencer Martin started the year as the third string goalie in Abbotsford this year, right? Like that's not an easy position to be put into. Uh, I I did chat with Curtis Sanford a little bit about that. It didn't make it into the story that I wrote, but I will be writing another one because I got a lot of good stuff from Curtis Sanford. And one of the things he said was just like, you know, he remembers being in that position where you don't feel like you belong and almost like, and Curtis didn't say this, but it's almost like, why am I here? Like, what's what's the goal here? Like, there's two young guys in front of me, and the organization obviously wants to play them, but the Canucks kind of saw something in Martin. Like, it wasn't like this was just a trade mm-hmm. that just happened, right? Like, this was Curtis Sanford at multiple points going to Ryan Johnson and saying, hey, I saw this guy in Syracuse, Tampa Bay's farm team. I saw this guy in Syracuse when he was playing against us in Utica. 
And he's really good. He has a lot of potential, and I see a lot in his game. And that was that was Curtis Sanford that identified mm-hmm. Spencer Martin as a target. And they went out and got him, and he's been every bit as advertised. Like they knew there was potential in his game. They they saw little things in his game that they could kind of tweak. And you know, full credit to Spencer Martin for actually doing it because, like you said, not everybody jives super well with Ian Clark. You don't have to look far to see uh, Yaroslav Halak, for example. Uh, you know, even Braden Holpe didn't really work under Ian Clark uh, super well and under the Canucks system or lack of, we should say. But <laughs> well, I mean, that's not on Clark, but that's the overall no exactly. Picture. But yeah, the overall picture was yeah coming in was not good. And and Martin, I mean, the signing of Martin was in many ways a reaction to again lessons I guess they learned last year when they basically were told they couldn't have a, a proper third number three guy. Yeah. And Mike DiPietro was going to be the number, had to be the number three guy. It was terrible for his development, but you know, essentially fulfilled the requirements that the NHL had put on teams to navigate through last season because things were going to be so challenging because of COVID. And, um, you know, they come into this year basically being, okay, we need to make sure that we have everything covered off. And they did. And it was, it was an interesting one because especially once they kind of said, well, I mean, it was, it, I, I, they technically were going to have an affiliation with Kalamazoo, even though they basically walked away from it. Um, they haven't actually acted on it. I mean, Seelovs has ended up in Trois-Rivières, right? Right. Yeah. In Quebec. So like, so like he didn't even go down there. And part of their deal was because they weren't sure about the border and that was, no, that's fine. But the, they, you know, they basically said it, it was, it was a moment of over-preparing, which hasn't always been the case. It hadn't certainly always been the case under the previous regime. And for once they did it, it did create a difficult, obviously situation when you do have two goalie prospects sitting there. And I'm sure we'll talk more with Kevin about that. sort of where, where this goes now. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a, it was a, a different moment. And for sure, like you said, like, like this is also a huge credit just on, on his own to Curtis Sanford because you know, he's a, he's still a relatively young goalie coach, right? Like he's not, he's been, he's been helping out in with the Canucks AHL team for a number of seasons. Um, this is his first season as a full-timer though, right? I mean, exactly. he, he was essentially, you know, he was kind of working as a full-timer, but he wasn't always there, but he worked a lot with DiPietro. He knew DiPietro well, but you know, basically for him to put his hand up and say, no, this is a guy that I think we should be interested in. There's something to work. There's something that our system, the way we're going to approach this, the way that Ian and I, you know, Ian and I want to do things, um, you know, huge credit to him for seeing that and, and, and getting it. I mean, you're not going to get everyone right. I mean, that's that, by the way, side, you know, that was part of the takeaway from Patrick Alvin was, you know, basically saying, listen, scouts need to understand that they're most of the time going to be wrong. And most of the guys that you like aren't going to make it. Um, so, you know, Sanford's going to see another guy and it's not going to work out, but the, you know, pretty good way to start off your, you know, your sort of scouting and recruitment career as a, as a goalie coach. Yeah, absolutely. And, you brought up Mikey DiPietro there and how it was a bit of a lost season for him last year. And that was because they didn't go get a third string goaltender. What do you think this signing means for Mikey DiPietro? Like as a whole, because to me, like, and we had this conversation yeah. on the car right over. Yeah. Like to me, it's a great, it's a great situation for Mike. Cause now he's the starter in Abbotsford and there's nobody there to really compete with him other than Archer Silov, who I think they're going to split starts. Yeah. We'll see how, we'll see how things play out. Um, you know, you still find yourself wondering, you know, they, they are going to want to have a fifth guy, you know, I mean, maybe they'll, you know, you, you find some ECHL fodder. I mean, they've done this before. There's a, there's a, there's a, in Utica, there was a long list of guys who was essentially they had a number five guy who mostly played in, in the ECHL and would pinch it 
at the AHL level when there was an injury there or there was a call up to the NHL, that kind of thing. So, you know, there is going to be a guy like that. Well, it'll be interesting to see who that, I mean, essentially that's who Martin was supposed to be. Yeah. Right. I mean, he was not, you know, he was not destined to be this player that, you know, in the end they hit a home run with him. Um, um there's still obviously <laughs> the door's not closed on Mike DiPietro. There's no no doubt about that. I mean, there was a reason why they drafted him in the first place. There's a lot of talent there. Um, I, I just I just find myself looking at the overall picture. It's not so much a, to me a story about Mike DiPietro directly. It's a story about what's the next succession plan, right? You know, you got Demko, you got Martin under you know lockdown now as your guys in the NHL. Um, but Martin is you know in the end the life of the backup is constantly looking over your shoulder, and now it's on. Silovs or DiPietro to force that conversation next season, and so it's it, next year is going to be a big one for for DiPietro. I mean, he's. Well, I, I assume will. I mean, I'm sure they'd love to get him under something that brings down his cap hit a little bit. Um, you know, not that it's a big deal because he's in the minors and so it doesn't affect them in the in the long view. But you know, he he is due a you know he making 800k this year. He's due a small raise. Uh, on a qualifying offer and you know it's it is one of those ones but in the end it's mostly peanuts at that point but um you know they're gonna they're gonna commit to this guy and, and see what he can do but but in the end like there is this sort of archer seahawks question who's you know dipietro barely played last year um didn't even get games in the first half seahawks at least got games in the first half and then eventually found some games late in the season i mean it was going to be a tough season no matter where you were there's no doubt about it but it wasn't it was far from even in in challenging circumstances far from optimal for both those prospects and then the situation this year i mean deep has played a lot more um seahawks is finally getting some games but you know to, to sit around and not play and this is something we talked with DiPietro last year. I mean, he was honest about it. He said, you can, you know, he, DiPietro loves practice. We know that. Um, he loves working on his game, but you got to actually play the games, actually execute and understand what you're doing. And, you know, that, that would be the good thing for him this year is that he's actually played. But, you know, it, it is, we're sort of entering into sort of prove it or, or lose it territory. You know, that he's going to be a guy that if things don't come, you know, come around for him, if he doesn't become the guy that his certainly younger talents showed that he could be, he is going to be moving on to, you know, the, the world where Spencer Martin was and sort of fighting his way through the minors, fighting his way through the AHL and maybe just never being a guy again, but hoping he can be and having, you know, maybe finding someone who's going to mesh. With him. I don't, I don't get any sense. He doesn't mesh with the guys here. It's just, totally. you know, it, it's just, that's the reality. That's where you're at. Yep. Right. I mean, that is just how it goes. It, the moment you're drafted in many ways, I think that's the thing that you guys, Young guys, especially if you're outside the first round, guys realize this quickly. You're all almost immediately looking looking over your shoulder because teams are constantly looking. Who's the next guy? Who's the next guy? Who's the next guy? Yeah. Who you know? Is there a younger guy who's better? Because a younger guy who's better gives you more upside, right? And yeah. that's and that's the continual thing. And so that's kind of that that literally where DiPietro is at right now. Okay, we'll get to the poll question and then we'll call Kevin Woodley because I texted him and asked if he's ready to go early, and he is because I don't want to start talking playoffs till after the Woodley conversation. So let's get to the poll question. Our episode 252 poll question brought to you by Atlas Goods, the creators of Pop Rinds. Use promo code CC15 for 15% off your first order at atlasgds.com and get your hands on the best fresh pork rinds straight out of your air fryer or microwave. They're fantastic. We've heard Faber and I talk about them uh, quite a bit folks so use promo code cc15 at atlasgds.com locally owned company so go check them out our poll question today are you happy with spencer martin being the backup next season patrick overwhelming response here 80 percent of voters say yes four percent say no 16 percent say 
I'm angry. I don't know if you caught this. We put I'm angry as a uh, poll option every time because we did it once and people like never take this away. So we left it 16% of people saying I'm angry. I think both of us uh, are on the yes side. Part of that 80%. All right. We'll call Kevin Woodley, chat with him about Spencer Martin and the whole goaltending situation as a whole after this short word from Parallel 49 Brewing Company. Hey, you get to hear Faber's voice on this episode, folks. And before we go any further into the episode, want to give a shout out to Parallel 49 Brewing. You guys can find Parallel 49 Beer all across BC and Alberta. And right now we want to give a quick shout out to the Unparalleled Pack featuring four of the P49 favorites. The Trash Panda, the Filthy Dirty, the Jerkface 9000, and the Hillbilly Ninja. My favorite of the four there, the Jerkface 9000, the Pink Can. Something good about those cans there, Parallel 49. So go out and try them. You can find them in most liquor stores across BC and Alberta. Very pleased to be joined now by Kevin Woodley of In Goal Mag. Kevin, we already had you scheduled before Spencer Martin even signed this contract. So good timing by us. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. That means you guys must be uh, listening to Donnie and Dolly. because I think uh, Dolly had this like pretty much yesterday, no? So like, this is just good. Good pre-scouting. Thanks to our friend Rick Dollywall. Absolutely. Rick Dollywall always helps us out with this show. So, Kevin, we'll start there. PJ and I have kind of broken it down a little bit, but your overall thoughts on the Spencer Martin contract that got announced today by the Vancouver Canucks? I mean, makes perfect sense, no, right? Like, uh, the veteran experience backup hasn't really gone the way you like it for the last uh, couple of years, although I would argue that Black's actually probably did better than a lot of people seem to give him credit for here, especially in trying circumstances, playing less than he's played in the last decade plus. Um, and that's a bigger adjustment than I think most people know. Uh, but but at the end of the day, you've already, you've still got him on the books for next year. You've still got Braden Holtby's buyout on the books for next year. You needed a cheap option. And, you know, given some of the development we've seen in Spencer Martin's game, given the willingness to work and you know the time that he's going to get to continue to work with Ian Clark in that backup role, like it just makes sense, right? Like this is, and it makes sense that it's a guy you know that bought into some of the changes that um, Ian and Curtis Stanford, um, you know, sort of unilaterally make or, or look to make in goalies uh, at both levels. Uh, you, you could have gone out and found somebody in a similar mold. I think of a guy like Charlie Lindgren, who's, you know, kind of similar to Spencer Martin, right? Like been in the minors for a while, had some cups of coffee. Um, but took a major stride this year. Like his, he's, he's, his five NHL games are five and zero with a nine fifty eight, like similar similar numbers. But then you've got a, you've got the risk of, hey, does he fit in? Does he mesh? Is he willing to buy into the changes they might want here? You don't have any of those questions with Spencer Martin, so it just makes sense on a lot of levels. And I think the fact they were able to get a second year out of him, like if he continues to sort of develop and take the strides we saw this year that second year could be a real bargain at a time when other teams are, we saw last summer, like guys like Lorraine Brassois, like some of the tickets that were commanded by sort of one B options uh, to have this guy potentially fill that role at that ticket. Uh, at what? seven seventy five next year is like, that could just be found money for a team that's going to have salary cap problems elsewhere. For, for Mikey DiPietro, he's kind of the guy that we've talked about. What does this signing mean for him? Uh, you know, I mean, it 
I think it's more about Spencer Martin and his ability to sort of what he's done this year and, and, and climb the depth chart. And, and yeah, so you look at it like, did he move past Michael DiPietro on the depth chart this year? Yes, he did. Um, does that mean that Michael DiPietro is stuck behind him at the start of next season? Um, you know, arguably, no. Uh, certainly much more of an opportunity for Mikey to, to maybe move up that depth chart even as early as training camp or preseason um, than he had this year, right? Like he came in this year and we all knew there was no chance he was going to be with the big club no matter what because Yaroslav Halak's contract dictated it. So, you know, this is, yeah, it's a one-way ticket, um, but we've seen guys with much more pedigree go through waivers unclaimed over the years. So I don't think it's uh, an absolute lock that he's here the way it was that Yaroslav Halak would be here to start this season and all season. So I think if you're Mikey, it's just, hey, took a little step back early, game's coming around late, um, another opportunity, and, and a real opportunity next year to come in and fight for more opportunities, whether to start or in season, uh, than you had this season, where really there there wasn't, didn't matter what he did, he wasn't going to be with the big club. Martin's success is a pretty big statement about Curtis Sanford's ability, both as a talent evaluator and as as a coach, isn't it? Uh, I'm not sure where the talent on the talent evaluation okay. side is because I, I wasn't sure where where the origins of that deal with Tampa Bay was in terms of who was making that call, who was identifying him as you know uh, a target to add to their depth. Um, I mean, the reality is Spencer Martin came into this season as the fifth guy in the organization, like he was. Well, at least, I, at least I, I think in the eyes of a guy like Ian Clark, he was fifth on this depth chart. If they had an East Coast Hockey League option, um, he may have been down there. Uh, well, Arthur Stilovs and, and Michael DiPietro started the season here. But to me, it's more about the, the way they work hand-in-hand hand and teach the same thing and um, Curtis's ability to sort of execute as a teacher and Spencer's ability and willingness to sort of buy into um, the changes they wanted. And, you know, it shows... It's a great example of what can happen when you've got pretty much a whole goaltending staff, in this case just two guys, but a full time in Curtis Stanford, which wasn't the case in Vancouver in years past. He was part time. Um, they make that commitment to him, and it, it just goes to show you what happens when everybody's sort of on the same page in terms of what you're teaching or what you're preaching uh, to your goaltender top to bottom. What went wrong for Yaroslav Halak this year? Um. Geez, I, I got to be careful how I answer that because it's kind of a loaded question. Because I don't know that everything, I don't know that it's the disaster it's made out to be. Like we're we're talking about two starts in a in a in a fifteen game season, right? Like that's pretty much it. Like he was submarine by two starts. His numbers were submarine by two starts. Um, I thought his performance up to that point, uh, in like I said, difficult circumstances because he is not used to playing every two weeks. Like that is less than he's played in more than a decade. And coincidentally, like a decade ago was also the last time he played this little and the last time he saved percentage under 900. Uh, I know it's not what he envisioned coming in. Um, and I thought for the most part, outside of those two starts, he handled it really well. Um, you know, I do wonder in those two starts if there were some distractions uh, in terms of maybe expecting to have been traded uh, by that point, uh, maybe at some level hoping to have been traded at that point, and then you get in those two games, and he's trying to find his game after a whole bunch of time off, especially after COVID. Team starts terribly, and we saw it, right? Like, we saw it even when he was playing well. Like, he sort of needed to feel his way into games and, and get himself going. It wasn't clean. It wasn't pretty. Uh, 
with the drop of the puck after a couple of weeks off. And so you combine him sort of needing to feel his way into games with a team that, you know, frankly didn't show up in the first period of some of those games. And it got ugly. Like, there's no question it got ugly. But again, outside of those two starts, you know, the numbers are comparable to Thatcher Demko, both raw and adjusted. I, so I don't know that anything went wrong for Yaroslav Halak beyond the fact he didn't get used the way he thought he'd be used this season. When you look at next season, in terms of usage then, what, what do you expect, you know, assuming Martin is the backup, what, what would we expect? Would it be a similar deployment pattern to what we've seen this year? Yeah, I, that's going to be really interesting. I think obviously it depends how he plays and where they're at. Like if, if they're fighting tooth and nail for a playoff spot all year long, you're going to see Thatch Demko out there a whole bunch. The risk is, um, playing every two weeks, like I said, like Jaroslav Halak, it was tough for him. And he'd been a sort of 1B for a long time, just a 1B who's used to playing more. Um, it's a big ask for a guy who's still getting his feet wet in the National Hockey League to sit and just practice for weeks at a time. And you know, the one benefit that Spencer had when he came up here is he'd been playing in the American Hockey League and playing well. So all that game feel and game rhythm uh, was still sort of, maybe not fresh, but somewhat fresh when he finally got into the net. And that certainly helps. So that'll be the challenge for the goalie coaching staff, for Ian Clark, to make sure they find a way to have that balance um, between, you know, keeping him game ready uh, without maybe being able to get him in a, as many games as you would like for a goaltender of sort of his age and, and experience level. Um, it all depends on how he plays, right? Like, at the end of the day, if, if Michael DiPietro comes back um, and starts next season the way he finishes or appears to be finishing this one, and there's any bit of a speed wobble with Martin, you have the beauty of Abbotsford, where I am right now, as you can hear the background, like, you can airlift him in and out. Like, if Martin sits for two weeks and you're not sure about his form, and Michael's going and going well in the American Hockey League and you've got one game you need your backup to play on a weekend. We've seen other teams do it where they use the American Hockey League to keep guys in game rhythm and then, you know, sort of call them up for spot starts and then a prospect like EPS. Or I still think that's an option. But again, only if Spencer Martin falters to the point where you worry about his, a, a performance after a couple of weeks off. Speaking of spot starts, there are a couple back-to-backs coming up here. Any chance you think Martin is called up for one of those? This is fascinating to me because um, the new management group has made no bones about it in terms of uh, the importance of salary cap space for them next year. We saw Yaroslav performance in Arizona last night. Uh, you know, 27 to 28 was enough to take him from an 894 to an 899 you are one or two similar starts away from him getting back above that 905 save percentage level and another quarter of a million dollar bonus on his contract that automatically gets add, added to their cap hit next season and so as much as you hate to think that you know like it's kind of a kind of a I don't say dirty because it's a business, right? Like, he kind of feels a little dirty to rob a guy of that opportunity, especially a guy like Halak, who, like, I know what 300 wins means to him. He's, at, I think, 285 now. And, you know, if he gets a couple more this season, it makes it that much more possible for him to maybe get to that magical goalie milestone next year. Um, do you, for the sake of that cap hit, call up Martin? Because you could argue, right, hey, we got to get this guy in more games, get him accustomed, you know, for next year. Like, there's value there 
for the team and the added value of not risking adding to your cap in next season. I, I don't know what the answer is. I suspect they'll just let Yaroslav play out the string because of the optics of doing it the other way. But man, like from a business standpoint and from a cap management sort of risk standpoint, especially if they're out of it by the time we get to that second end of the back-to-back, um, they might have a fascinating decision to make, and I think one that a lot of us will be watching quite closely. When you look at the past two seasons, Kevin, and I know we've already discussed kind of how, as a whole, the Spencer Martin uh, deal is great because uh, the cap implications and all that sort of stuff compared to the alternatives. When you look at Braden Holpe and Yaroslav Vlak, do you think there's any credence to the argument that um, that Ian Clark just doesn't work super well with older goalies? Uh, no, I, I don't know if it's that, to be honest with you. Like, I think, um, you know, when you talk to talk to Braden about the way last year went, like, I think the unique circumstances of the season with no preseason, like, he bought into some of the changes. And I think if you see he's got, I think, a 9-12 before he got hurt in Dallas this year, like, a large part of sort of his bounce back this season when I talk to him, um, you know, credit to integrating and finally getting comfortable with the changes he made under Clark. The problem, of course, was it just took too long, in part because of the unique nature of, of the pandemic shortened season last year. Um, and Yaroslav Halak, like I think, you know, if, if Ian had sort of come into this season and tried to change him or make the changes that they made with Braden, yeah, you would have had a problem. Uh, I don't think they would have worked for Yaro. But he didn't. Like, he recognized that this is a guy with a career 916 save percentage, been one of the best 1Bs in the league for, you know, close to a decade, that it was just a matter of sort of getting him comfortable with his game as opposed to trying to make wholesale changes to it. So, um, again, I, I, I don't know that I would classify it that way, um, especially – you know, just, I, I, like, cause I don't see Haraslav's season as being the unmitigated disaster that others seem to, you know, be implying, you know, when I get some of these questions. So, um, you know, to me, again, that was more about usage and, and some struggles there uh, as opposed to, you know, a goalie coach not working with a veteran guy. But, I mean, certainly the amount he demands um, out of his goaltenders in that backup role, the work ethic he demands from all his goaltenders, might be better suited to a guy who's, you know, young and eager and, and looking to, you know, embrace all new ideas and all new concepts and, and just go out and really grind at it uh, than an older goalie. And I think, you know, above all, like, to be honest, like some of these older goalies signed here, they were signed here because of uncertainty about Demko, uh, you know, hopefully because they weren't sure about, about Thatcher's ability to sort of step right into the role. And Yarrow because they needed, you know, injury insurance. Like, what happens if Hopi misses four to six with a minor MCL sweep? Like, um, they were so all in for this season. They felt they needed that experience. And, you know, a guy like Yarrow, who it's one thing to play every two weeks, but not everybody can do that and then give you two good weeks. And that's what Yarrow's always been able to do and something they felt they needed. So, um, you know, again, I, I don't think this is about the goalie coach and the age of the goalies and the experience of the goalies. Uh, I think it's more about the situation. Kevin, just before we wrap up, Bruce Boudreaux, back as head coach next year? Couldn't tell you. Not sure Bruce could tell you. Um, I think that one of the most fascinating parts of the discussion around this, and I was guilty of it myself, like when, when we were asked about this a week or so ago, like, you know, why haven't they 
you know, why haven't they re-upped him? And you look at the results and you're like, yeah, like, it's a fair question. Like, um, but since the reporting from Elliot Friedman about the fact that Boudreaux has an option on his own end, like, that kind of tells us that, like, maybe it doesn't matter whether they want to or not. They can't. Like, they can't just unilaterally decide, uh, hey, we got an option on this contract, we're exercising it, because he's got an option out. And so... Uh, talking to some people who are a little closer to him and the situation, it certainly sounds like, you know, there are some teams that might be looking for a head coach this summer, especially depending on what could happen in the playoffs, where, you know, that option, I'm not saying like that he, that he doesn't want to come back here, um, but, you know, it might be worth waiting to see if that option needs to be exercised on his end. So, like, even if they were to say, and they haven't, but if they were to say, hey, we want him back, I'm not sure. I'm not sure anyone of us knows for sure. But it certainly sounds like, and from what I'm hearing, like that might not be entirely their decision to make. If it is this this, this option that Bruce has, uh, is something he wants to wait on and see. Especially if his alternative is to look elsewhere and maybe get term versus allow them to exercise an option that's just one year. I mean, this is in some ways the contract perfect because it gave them flexibility and didn't lock them into another coach that they would have to pay for a long time. But I guess this is the risk of the other side is uh, things have gone well and, you know, it might not end up being your choice as to whether he comes back. Kevin, as always, really appreciate it. I know Faber doesn't like when we have you on the show, but uh, it was good to, have, good to chat with you. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate the vote of confidence from the goalie union portion of, uh, of the podcast. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll deal with that Faber guy some other time. Always. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks. And a massive thank you, as always, to Kevin Woodley for joining us. Patrick, there was a question I asked him at the end there that I want to pose to you, and it was just a flat-out, Bruce Boudreaux, in your opinion, mm-hmm. is he back as head coach next year? Well, I mean, I got asked this. Can I? No, I guess it, can I Can I pump up my other places I show up at? Of course. I said this on Sakaris and Price. Yeah, you can I, I was them. I was ordered to, to basically, you know, up, down, yes, no. Make your vote. And I said no. Um, I think because I, I'm a bit like Kevin, you know, Kevin pointed out to me earlier as well, similar to what he just said there, but he had pointed out to me that, that, you know, is that, you know, once we sort of think about that option and why that might be being discussed, that Boudreaux apparently himself may have an option, um, you know, you start thinking for him, I mean, he said last week, I mean, he basically said, it sure sounded like if he were offered a contract, he would sign it at yeah. least, at least, he said that for public consumption. I have no reason to think he wouldn't think otherwise, right? Um, Boudreau you know, doesn't seem like the well, po- poker player. He, he, yeah, but you still, I mean, you still have to be, right? Like, sure. that's the thing, right? He's been in this game long enough, and he also has been on the outside for almost two years, right? Like, he was on the outside for for a full season, and he hadn't been on the outside for a full season ever, basically. And, you know, he's 66. He's a guy that's going to be a very aware I mean, it's a bit like Rutherford, I think. I think Rutherford, you know, he's 73 and wasn't working. And, you know, people of that age, if they feel still feel like working, they're very conscious of of the this being the last role, the last thing they want to do, right? So for Rutherford, there's a chance to leave a legacy to kind of, I think, realistically, there was a thing, build a, build a new look front office, build a new look, you know, hire some women, get some women in hockey, break that barrier. Um, and, and 
that clearly has been part of his motivation. We'll see how long he actually, you know, he's got this three year deal. We'll see how long he sticks around. Boudreaux as a coach is in a bit of a different spot because he is beholden to others. Right. And, and he, you know, essentially gets offered this opportunity to go try to, first of all, use his magic again, turn a team around. You know, as I've pointed out in various places, he hasn't had a losing season in 20 years. Right, even when he was let go in Washington, in Anaheim, in Minnesota, his team still had winning records. It was just there was a sort of a question of is this the guy to take us to the next level? And that has always been the challenge for him, is that he has always struggled in the playoffs in the end. And you know, when you look at how good, especially that team in Washington was, and how you know it, it maybe running a little bit on fumes, but realistically, still a very. I mean, he got to what the, the you know, he got a conference finals, right? Like with Anaheim. So, you know, very good teams there, um, but couldn't quite get the last thing done. And, and some of that's about luck, right? Like you get to down to the last four teams in the NHL and then you do need some luck. Like look at, I, mean, I know we hit talk about it, but look at 2011, right? Like was that luck or was that a been an intervention on Boston's part in that final game against, against Tampa in the Eastern conference final? Cause, cause I think everyone's, I mean, we all thought that Tampa was going to beat them and then there were no power plays. And you're like, Wait, what? <laughs> but, um, you know, you do need circumstance. So that's some of it. Um, that said, I, I find myself one, thinking a lot about that long-term vision. What, are, what do they want in two or three years? Thinking a bit about, a lot about that. And then also thinking about um, what, how you want to run your team. And I, have, I don't know. This is a question I have. I don't know what the answer is. But the question I have is, you know, you look at, in general, where sports have gone, and that is your coach is no longer sort of a, 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 a separate agent in how things how your team get, gets run. They are part of the management group, and that the way the team wants to be run, the way that you're going to play, as management says, is what the coach does. There's no notion of separation that the, the coach is handed a roster and it's left to him to sort of manage his way through that. And certainly there, I think there was clear, you know, that clearly happened under Jim Benning. That was how Jim Benning ran things. He's like, here's your lineup. And now it's on the coach and it's on the coach to make it work or, you know, and if it doesn't, well, we saw what happened to Willie and in the end we saw what happened to Travis. Um, and so I find myself wondering moving forward because you know in the end it's it, i don't think you can have a fair expectation on Boudreaux in these circumstances because he was literally hired by the owner ahead of the management being hired so it was kind of like you're being brought into uh, the owner thought they were still a playoff team you can you make us a playoff team and that's Boudreaux says yes i'm going to do that so now you're sitting here going okay we get to the end of the season bruce this is how we want to do things this is i'm just imagining right like i'm not saying i have knowledge of this right but but i'm just imagining i mean bruce this is how we're going to do things is this something you are willing to do or is this something how you see things? And I, I have no reason to think he wouldn't say yes, but I don't know he would say yes. So I think that's something that I, I find myself wondering about too. You know, there was this famous conversation that, that Gillis and Gilman had with Alain Vigneault when, when they came in basically saying, this is what we want. This is what we believe the team needs to be. This is how we believe the team needs to be organized. And you know, the roster that we are going to set up, we want it to play like this. Are you willing to do that? You know, are you gonna are you gonna be part of that us as a unit? And that well, we saw the result. Vigno said yes, absolutely, and and went against his traditional instincts, which was to build a very defensively oriented 
uh, lineup and approach and in the end took on and said they were they were a collective and so i find myself wondering is that part of the discussion that they're now having because because in the end management itself has been very focused on this at least outward presentation that we are collaborative you know that we all have obviously different roles and responsibilities and that in, in the end you know the kevin granado in the end is in charge of scouting you know Derek clancy is like the executive officer he's in charge of kind of you know, special projects, making sure everything gets managed properly. Patrick Levine is the GM and is the one who is essentially the chairman, you know, like he's there, there, there are a group of people. He's the CEO, you know, like that he needs to make all these things happen. Um, and, and, and he's the one who's sort of providing the final guidance. And then you have, you know, you have that sort of, um, you know, the monarch in Jim Rutherford, right. Who has an expectation, who sets the expectations is there to consult has long years of experience, but isn't necessarily, you know, a day to day, guy which which you know again funnily enough we, we, we there was that mike gillis presentation that deck that got leaked basically saying here's how it's set up i mean it's exactly that and which it wasn't like that was a revolutionary you know way to organize yourself that's a very modern way to organize yourself it might have been perhaps revolutionary for hockey because hockey is very slow to sort of move in these kinds of directions in a lot of ways yeah but you know that's let's be honest that's how the Leafs run their front office yeah and, um, and for listeners that don't know what you're talking about the leaked document from the yeah, his, when he was trying to go to pittsburgh uh yeah i think it was pittsburgh um so funny but, but i mean we, we know that it was a presentation he's made in other places because yes. he's been talking to other places yeah. but you know that that sort of that sort of cohesive approach where you know you have a bunch of people involved versus the old school approach i mean the most extreme version was as i've written about before was dale talon who just didn't trust anybody and had everything run through his office and you you, you know that that I, I think first of all that that's that's foolish to think that you have all the answers and second of all there's just too much to do in a modern in the modern game like, yeah. you know i mean you, you look at you look at all the things that ryan johnson was having to do and then when we heard he was like he's now the capologist well you're like but he's already doing all these things. You knew that, like in the end, you know, it's clear that that, that the fact they have all these people involved, the Sedins are involved. You know, they they've got all these voices. Stan Smeal's involved. There's a reason why because there's just a lot to do. It's not just that these people deserve to be heard from. It's just there's a lot to do. And and you know the 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 way the the front office was set up before was one of the smaller front offices in the league. And there's just too much to do. So you know, to, anyway, to come back to the question is that the coach. I I I I, I if you have to make me pick, I say no. But that's more just me saying it's because there's so much uncertainty right now. Um, but I won't be surprised if Boudreaux is back, that said. I think I honestly just share the same same uh, mindset as you there. That I, If I had to vote, it's no. But again, not going to be surprised at all. You had a conversation with Patrick Alvine that uh, kind of blew up terrestrial radio, did it not? <laughs> um, and, uh, well, everybody was talking about it, yeah. Yeah, and then I got a got word that there was a memo that no, was sent. No memo. <laughs> yeah, I texted no memo. you, you're like, there's, there's no, no memo. memo. <laughs> there's no memo. <laughs> but, you know, talk about that story. And, like, what did you make of Alvin's comments in that story? And obviously the big quote is, we don't have a superstar. The superstar. Yeah, I mean, I think, to me, I understood it, and I thought I explained it, but... I can understand how maybe sometimes, I mean, this is the lesson from teaching. You can create the most interesting project ever presented to the kids and you will have a, a question that always comes from left field and you were not ready for. Um, so no, his comment was very much about how you set up your cap and looking at, obviously this team has been a cap team, uh, haven't had success and coming from Pittsburgh, where they've had obviously a ton of success and have been a cap team. And he, he essentially was looking at his lineup and saying, well, 
there are certain players for which you can commit a ton of money to a huge percent. Sidney Crosby, right? Conrick David, uh, Austin Matthews. And at the moment, you look at this lineup and you didn't see that guy. There's sort of a hope that Elias Pettersson could be that guy. And certainly the way he's been playing yeah. has been that guy. Um, but, you know, he coached it. He said, listen, everybody, I want to see it from everybody. Like everybody here is trying to show us what they can do. And that was, you know, that was a, that was, you know, you, you expect no less, right? Like you're always trying to set a standard. He is the, he is the, the, the lead guy in hockey operations. You're, you're going to set a standard and him basically saying that's, that, that's, that's all it was, was simply saying, it's not that, it's not that we're not, you know, that none of these guys couldn't be, but you know, you look at like JT Miller's had a great year, right? Um, and he's had an incredible two, three months, right? But it's actually amazing to see how many players have been at least as hot as him, you know, and it's, it's not one or two. It's like a dozen to 15 guys. Like that, like he has been one of the best players in the league, but he has not been anything close to the best player in the league. Right. And, and so that, that, that's sort of a reminder there for context. And then Elias Patterson obviously has had a terrible season and has come on really hot at the end and is playing the way they need him to play. And that's part of the reason why this playoff push is still flickering along because between, I mean, between him and Bo Horvat, they're scoring every night. Um, you know, JT Miller, it's not, like he's slumped. He's just not, he's not dominating offensively quite the way he was, which was no shock because he was shooting just like twice his career percentage for a while there. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me that was all what Alvin was talking about was, was saying, listen, let's, Let's think about the context here and what it's, what's in front of us and how I have to think and how I have to think about our, our contracts. And it was a very clear, I mean, to me, the other thing too, there was a red line put down there basically saying, listen, you know, the more any one player gets, the harder it is to do other things, which is an old lesson from here goes way back when to two guys that work for him now with the cities. And that was something that, that, uh, you know, that, that, that Gillis and Gillis said, listen, you know, we can, you can make a lot more on the open market. We know that, but we are willing to offer you this. If you trust us, we can then also pay Alex Burroughs and Dan Hamhuis and Ryan Kessler and do all these other things bring in Manuel Holtra, bring in Ravi Torres, you know, on and on and on. And, and that was a commitment that they made and they had to deliver on it. And that, that's literally what Alvin will be saying too. say, listen, guys, if you want to stay here, this is what we can pay you. The money we don't spend on you, we will spend on this and this and this. And that that to me is the other part of the um, part of the story. I mean, we were talking about development when he said the player needs to understand what they're doing. But that's a, that's an overall philosophy, right? I mean, that's a very modern, um, you know, for people my age and your age, down to your age, it makes sense because you come through school and like understanding what's going on and being used to being part of the process. People from an older generation weren't used to that. They were just sort of told, here's what you do, blah, blah, blah. And don't, you know, just go on. Nobody knew why, but you know, that, that is where athletes are. They're, they're wired and they're conditioned not through sports, but because of like how education influences the society and they want to know what's going on. And so if you speak to them in those terms, that that's all, that's all he's saying is that, listen, you have to talk to these guys and you have to make it clear what we're doing, why, how we're doing it, and why we're, you know, what the results we expect are going to be. And the past management regime, they didn't do a very good job of that. Did that was they? not that, that. That was just not. That's just not how they were, right? And and you know there was a lot of um, well, no, the, there was just sort of you know assumed sort of well, don't you know? And then well, if you don't know, I mean, I it, it just was a lot of very siloed thinking and very much well, this is what we're doing and that's how it is and. 
and and a lack of. I mean, you can look at the experience, for instance, the Vertan McCann experience in their rookie season. Right, they brought these guys in who were incredibly immature, not ready to play. I think my impression is, I mean, the narrative that McCann was the problem is completely backwards from what I understand. Um, and, and I mean, obviously, well, we can see what's going on with Vertan. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll see how his court case plays out, but you know, that's never, that's never a good sign. Right. Um, and, you know, McCann has bounced around, but a lot of that's been circumstance, you know, that in the end he's in each stop, the team has had to make a choice and, and, you know, Pittsburgh, I think definitely wanted to keep him, but they, they didn't have a choice going to the expansion draft. Toronto was really interested in him and would have been perfectly, but they had to make a bat. It was going to be him or Kerfoot, you know, and now he's done really well in Seattle. But, you know, both those guys were kind of brought up here and were given no guidance. Like there was nothing for them. And, and you know, that's just, you can't, I mean, look at Chris, look at Chris Pronger's tweets, yeah. right? Chris Pronger makes the point about how much money you throw at these kids and, and how, like astounding that is, you know, and most people aren't equipped to recognize what that does and how that changes your perception of the world. And, and you can't just throw a 19 year old kid into the deep end, uh, into a financial deep end like that. You, you, you know, you do need to be conscious about that. You know, years ago I had a friend who, um, his, um, uh, his, his family worked for network records and, um, or his dad ran, his dad was involved in network records. And there was, there was a story I remember hearing they had Avril Levine signed very young and they set up a trust for her basically because they're like, you guys are your, you and your family are all of a sudden going to be seeing a lot of money. And for the, for the sake of your young self, we're going to put, we basically, we, we urge you to, to allow us to put most of your earnings into a long-term trust you know, which will then become available at some later date. Once to be perfectly honest, you're more mature. And, you know, like that was a, my impression was that that was a frustrating process, but that was just basically saying, we've seen what happens to young people when they get too much money right away. Like it's not good for you. And, and we're just going to share our experience and we're going to explain this and this is how they did it. And look at, you know, I mean, Avril's kind of, a pop star again, I guess, yeah, you know, totally. like, but like, like, you know, I'm not saying necessarily she would have gone off the rails, but, but that was, that was what the thinking was. Yeah. And, and that was not the thinking when Vertanen and, and McCann first came in and, you know, th- there is a process and you have to earn it and it's a privilege. And, you know, obviously first round picks, I mean, this is the other thing Alvin said, he said, obviously first round picks are better equipped to understand this kind of transition because their whole life they've been sort of playing and they've been, you know, so much now there's so much focus now on young elite players helping them recognize sort of what the work ethic means and how you get to the next level. But getting to the NHL inherently is once you're there, it's really difficult. It is the pyramid. Everyone's as good as you. And in most athletes, when they get to the top of the pyramid are discovering this for the first time, it's the first time they've really truly run into a whole collection of similarly skilled um, peers. And, and so that is the, you know, that, that is, I think the other thing here that, you know, he's really focused on is just sort of thinking about that. It comes back to, like I said, understanding the whole process, having players involved in their own process and understanding what they're doing. And just before we wrap up here, we're approaching an hour here. Um, this off season, the goal is to clear cap space, right? Like they've been very clear. About At least that's that. what their intention is. Yeah. We'll see what happens, but yes. What do you think happens? Like that, that's literally my question to you, and it's a very open-ended question. Yeah. You can go many directions with it, but like, 
are we seeing a big name like a JC Miller or Brock Besser or a Connor Garland getting dealt? Like, what are we seeing this offseason? I think, I mean, I think that the thing seems to be lining up to Besser. There's two alternatives. Um, if they can't sign him to like a three-year deal, I don't see, I mean, I suppose they could try to sign him to a long-term deal, but if you're Besser, you know, your negotiating position is terrible. You know that the team knows that if you're a guy that's trying to think about how much money you can make in the long term, you know, you're a guy that's going to be like, no, I, I want to have two good years in the hit free agency. Right. So if that's what he wants, he can, you know, that they cannot could take him to arbitration and basically try to win. I think it's a 15% salary reduction. And I, I, I'm, I'm not an expert in these things, but it's pretty clear to me that they're, you know, he's not a seven and a half million dollar hockey player. So, you know, the odds are good that he wins that. So then they win, you know, and then it's up to Besser. It's Besser's camp that can pick the term. And, you know, I, I haven't talked to Ben Hankinson. I don't know what, but it's hard to see how he wouldn't just accept two years because then he's a UFA and can do what he wants. Then he has a bit more leverage. You know, maybe the Canucks can get a three-year deal out of this um, and say, listen, you were going to, you know, we, we could have signed you to a six-year deal. Um, and this is, you know, if you sign a three-year deal now, well, that's actually going to give you roughly the same amount of money or a little bit short of the amount of money that perhaps we would have, you know, we'd have had on the table, you know, three years ago. Um, and, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's in the big picture, something that is tolerable. And, you know, you can get them for three years at a, you know, six, you know, you're going to have to, obviously your floor is the arbitration number. So, you know, I think that happens. Um, and, you know, he's been a power place. Like he, he has done the job on the power play. The problem has become, he hasn't been able to score on five on five. Why that is, is not clear to me. And perhaps the Canucks have an answer and they think they can fix that. I mean, I, I have a hard time seeing them being able to trade him unless they're able to put him on this contract. And someone says, yeah, we love that contract. And we want to bring him in. Um, that part is going to be challenging. Um, Miller, I, you know, Miller in the end is a financial question. And it comes back to that red line that I think is clearly there. And, you know, the, the, there's... You know, there are, I think, I mean, everyone, people I've talked to are basically, yeah, I think there's a number that they could go for, but it comes back to Miller also sort of thinking about his role in the team, what he wants to be, does he, you know, because if he stays, he'll be the guy, right? Like he could be the guy. If he goes somewhere else, he's probably not going to be the guy, but he might get paid more. And so that becomes the equation there. Um, You know, I was saying to someone last night, like, you, you, sixteen goals in twenty-one games for Horvat. Like he's been on a tear, and you know, I was one of these people who said maybe it's time to think about maybe the connection. You know, in the end, you have to make changes if you don't make the playoffs. I mean, even you sneak in, but inherently, if you don't make the playoffs, like you can't just keep carrying on thinking, well, maybe it'll be different next mm-hmm. year. Um, and so, me, part of me was like, well, yeah, that that's a case for also for moving Horvat. Like one of those guys is going to have to go. And at least at the deadline, now, you know, sort of hindsight, I wonder if there's team going, man, I wish we'd pushed harder for Horvat. Look at how he's playing. Cause look at how he's playing. And he would add so much to any team right now. Um, I, I, I don't get the impression that he's a guy that they really would move because I think they do. There is, you know, we can see the character that's there and the performance yeah. there and, and the list goes on. Um, so, so that, that to me is a, you know, I, I don't think that's one that happening. I do think, I do think they'll try to see if they can find a way to move Myers, if they can find a way to move Pearson in the offseason, um, just because of the way their no trade clauses move. I mean, they're, 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 I, I'm, I know they were trying to move Pearson, or at least they, were, they would like to. Um, you know, obviously, Pearson had a lot, had full control of the situation. I don't know if they ever actually even approached him with a trade, mm-hmm. but certainly it was something they were thinking about. Um, yeah, you know, and I think 
they i mean you're right they want to find some cap space i mean i i you look at certain other things i find myself wondering you know they they have to deal with the halak cap penalty they have they're still got the two um, buyouts on the books um you know you never really like to pile up dead money but i find myself wondering if they buy up michael ferlin because you know that's a that's actually not you know you, you can definitely reduce his cap hit um you know, you know you're obviously gonna have to spread it out over a couple seasons um but it's not it's not a terrible buyout situation um that's i think i think that i just look at it and i think is gonna happen um and then yeah you know the it, it really i think more than anything comes down to what happens with miller and if they can't get a reasonable number with miller because again remember they've got his cap hit for next year like that's that's locked in you know the 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 this negotiation is for the season after when things actually are a lot better, you know? Um, so, so that to me, that's the other thing in all this is that, you know, it, they're not thinking about next year's cap. There's, you know, with Miller, they know what Miller's going to be. That is the nice thing is that at least they can see what his cap number is and they know likely what the performance is yeah. going to be. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I, there's definitely, I, I have almost, I'm certain. I mean, you said they, they want to create some cap space, but like I said, I'm not sure it's necessarily one of the obvious ones, but I, I do think it's likely it's one of those other ones I mentioned it at the very least. Okay. Anything else to add before we close out? I always ask Chris, do you have a prospects <laughs> report, Patrick? No, I don't. Well, neither do I. Usually I can just piggyback off favors, but uh, he's not here today. Uh, I think we'll close it out there. Um, obviously, like we said, favor, I know you're listening to this thoughts are with you, buddy. We love you. Uh, thank you to everybody who tuned in. Patrick, thank you for uh, joining me on this episode. It's it's nice to have a co-host. Faber doesn't think I could do it alone. And thanks, I think I could do it thanks alone. Thanks to Nono Francesco. Yeah, thanks to Nono Francesco, of course. That's your actual Nono, not, yes. not the owner Francesco. No. Just to be, <laughs> just to be clear. Yes, that's my actual Nono. Uh, and again, our thanks to Kevin Woodley of In Goal Mag for joining us. Uh, I'm actually going to drag on for a bit, like 20 more seconds because Faber doesn't like when we go under an hour and we're at 59 minutes oh uh, and God. 30 seconds. So how was your it day rounds today? up? No, it doesn't. And we also have an outro. Have you heard our outro before? Do you ever listen to our show? Be honest. I do. When? When's the last episode? I don't listen to the end though. So I don't know about these complaints. Our, our outro Cause an hour really cool. is too long. Well, no, unless you're doing it right on the dot, unless you're doing a movie podcast about like, yeah, that's true. An hour. You know, it's fine. Yeah. We try to get to an hour. You know what? Actually, I shouldn't tell you this on air. We'll we'll cut to the outro. I'll tell you this. What you guys really need is another ad read and then, and then it's no problem. Right. You're right. Got to sell one more ad. Yeah. I forgot to even say, if you want to advertise with us, shoot me a message or favor. Uh, you advertise with us at Canucks combo on Twitter. All right. Again, you have an email. What if they want to approach you privately? We don't do emails. Jeez. We're not old. No. <laughs> My thanks to Patrick Johnson and, of course, Kevin Woodley for joining us on this episode. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.